Hebrews, uh, starting from chapter 5, verse 11, through to chapter 6, verse 12. And you can follow along on the screen there. So chapter 5, verse 11. We have much to say to you about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment and God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realised. We do not want you to become lazy but to imitate those whose faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Thank you, Janine. Uh, hello, everybody. My name's John. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't met you yet, it's good to be with you. Uh, yes, I drew the short straw on the uh, passage uh, tonight. No, I'm joking. It's, uh, it's an exciting passage. But before we dive into it, uh, and it's a, it's a controversial passage, that's what I'm, I'm getting at. Uh, but before we dive into it, I want to share a, a parable or a story uh, that gets lived out in our house uh, most weeks, almost every day. And it may be a similar uh, story to your household. And because I made the story up, I'm embellishing a little bit. Because I'm going to say, there was a young man, not so young, uh, but uh, there was a young man who uh, would go off to work and he would come home. And when he came home, he got out of his car, walked inside, greeted his family, kissed them all on the head and said, hello, my wonderful family. Because that's how you greet your family after a long day. And we go about doing our family dinner and our family uh, activities for the evening. Then we all brush our teeth, 
get into our jammies and go off to sleep. It's beautiful, isn't it? As you can tell, I've embellished just a little. But then the young man wakes up the next morning to get ready to go to work. And he's got himself all ready. And he goes to walk out the door. And he can't find his keys. And so he yells, has anyone seen my keys? To which the response is, no. Where did you last have them? If I knew that, I would have them in my pocket right now. I think someone's moved them. Why would anybody move your keys? Have you looked? Yes, I've looked. Have you kept, have you kept looking? I am now. Hang on, don't worry. I found them. They're in my pocket. And off he goes. The story in our family, the parable in our family, is the parable of the lost keys. And it's always me who loses the keys. I found them in the fridge. I found them in the, uh, the tea bag jar. I found them in the dog food container. Don't ask me what I was thinking there and how they got there. I don't know. But I lose keys all the time. And so when we get to the question that we're going to look at today, which is a big question, is can I lose my salvation? You could understand why I'm a little nervous. Because if I can lose my keys, which I was actually going to have them and actually start off by shaking them, but I don't know where they are right now even, <laughs> you can understand why I'm a little bit worried tonight as we come to this question. So let me pray and let's have a look at this question again. Dear gracious God, as we come to uh, this often highly debated uh, topic of whether we can lose our salvation, Father, we ask, we ask that you give us clarity, that you would give us wisdom through your spirit and through your word, that you would teach us, that you would show us your way, and Father, we pray that, we're, uh, that as, we, as we meditate on your word tonight, Father, we ask that we would know of your love and your mercy and your grace. Amen. Well, before we get to asking the question of can I lose my salvation, I'll ask you another question. Why on earth is this section in the Bible to start with? Because if you were reading through Hebrews and you got to uh, at chapter 5, just before Janine beautifully read to us, in verses 7 uh, to, um, to 10 there, it talks about, uh, it's talking about Jesus as this great high priest. It says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. And goes through and then talks about this guy of the high priest, uh, this high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And then we go into what we have. But if you actually stopped there and then started again in verse 1 of chapter 7, where it says, this Melchizedek was king of Salem. It kind of just flows. You could almost just wipe out this last bit of chapter 5 and chapter 6 and continue on as though it was never there in the first place. 
And often when we get to debating this idea of losing our salvation from this passage in particular, we often gloss over that idea or we, we don't stop and pause and ask the question, why on earth is it there to start with? Why does the writer of the book of Hebrews stop mid-thought, go on a tangent and then come back to what he was talking about? And so as we get to answer this question, I really, really want to briefly give us the context of the tangent. So let's have a quick look. Verse 11, which we heard read. We see, we see the writer say that we have much to say about this, which is Jesus as the high priest and many other things that he's been talking about. But he says, it is hard to make clear to you because you no longer try to understand. See, there is frustration in the writer of the Hebrews. He's like, I've been telling you these things and I don't know how many times I can tell you, but you just don't seem to get it. Last year, I coached uh, my youngest son uh, in under nine soccer. And I can't tell you how many times I said, do not kick the ball across goals. Do you think they listened? No. In fact, quite often they said, we know how to play soccer. And it gets frustrating saying the same thing over and over again. And the writer of the Hebrews is the same. He's, there is frustration. He's like, guys, you've just stopped. You're not even trying to learn anymore. You, you know about Jesus' death, but you don't know why he had to die. You're just not getting all of it. You've just kind of stopped at the basics and you haven't moved on. See, the writer of the Hebrews wants to dive deeper into these things, but because of their, their lack of willingness or their, just the fact that they've just stopped trying, it is making it hard for him to go onto these complex truths that he wants to speak about. And it's at this point we see that what one of the big problems here for the church that the Hebrew writer, is, uh, the, book of, the writer of the book of Hebrews is speaking to is that they aren't growing. They've stopped growing. They're not increasing in knowledge or understanding and really what they're doing is they've just got enough to function like Christians. to just do the basics, the, the, the bare necessities and go no further. See, what the, the reason why the, the writer of Hebrews wants us to stop here is he wants us and the, the readers to understand that the Christian faith is about growing in the Word of God, growing in the knowledge of who God is. This thing that, that often gets thrown around is this word doctrine, which is what Joel mentioned. We're doing the doctrine of the atonement, this series. And we hear the word doctrine and we go, oh, hang on. I just want to follow Jesus. Don't get all kind of intellectual on me. I used to be like that. So I just want to follow Jesus. I don't want to get into all this other stuff. I'm not good at studying. But as Christians, we are to be those who study the word of God to grow in our knowledge of who he is and to be changed by his word. See, the, the, the doctrines that are taught throughout the Bible teach us uh, to know who Jesus is and why he really came to die and what that means for us, what that means for our relationship with God and how we are to live now. These are key questions that get answered when we, we look through the great doctrines of the Bible. And if we don't go looking at them and studying them, then we, we don't find those answers. 
And so the writer of Hebrews is pausing to tell them this, to remind them of this, to instruct them and encourage them to grow, to to not stop, but to keep going. And as he does that, we see that he gives them this challenge. In chapter 6, verse 1 to 3, there is a challenge to, to grow. He says, keep going past the basics. I don't want to keep going again and again about the the same things. The challenge is go beyond. He wants to move past just the the teaching of repenting of sin and and faith in God and not ourselves and and baptism and the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do later. Uh, Laying on of hands in prayer, the resurrection and the life to come and eternal judgment. All these things that matter in life. He wants to move beyond that. He's not saying that they're worthless. But he's saying these are the things that we need to build on. We need to move beyond these things. In fact, you guys should actually be teaching these things and you're not. And so it's from this point he then delivers the warning that we get in verses three, uh, sorry, four to six. Our greatly debated verses on the question of can we lose our salvation? So there's a little bit of context of where he's getting to at this point. So let's have a look at these verses. I'm not going to read them out again, but we find them there on the screen. And it is easy to read those and to come up with many different answers to our question that we have before us. I'm just going to pick up on two just because of time. There are many. The first one, which is this, that from reading these verses... We can, we can possibly think that they are true believers who, are walked aw- who walk away from the faith and they lose their salvation. Just like I lose my keys, you can lose your salvation. I chose God, so then I can choose to walk away. Is the, that's the idea. And there are some pr- uh, passages that can give this impression. But I want to give three reasons why uh, I think that's not what is going on here. First one is this. You go right back to Adam and Eve. Let's go right back to the beginning. It's always a good place to start, isn't it? Back in the garden, Adam and Eve were given the keys of paradise, weren't they? And I told, here are the keys, just don't eat from that tree. Did they hold on to the keys? No, they lost the keys because they did what they were not supposed to do. Fast forward a little bit. Abraham, the great promise that his descendants will be God's people. The keys are given to God's people to hold and all they have to do is keep trusting and loving their God. But they lose the keys. Jesus dies on the cross to pay for your sin, my sin, so that we'll be saved once and for all. We are given the keys of eternal life. The question is, will God give them to us or will he entrust them to someone who won't lose them? You ever ask a mum what's in her bag and you'll find how trustworthy the mum's bag is. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. A mum's bag has keys from years ago. That's how safe things are. Like three moves ago, a house key, just in case. You never know. There's chewing gum. No one has chewing gum, eats chewing gum, but it's just there just in case. 
It is the place of safety. Surely God will give the keys of our eternal salvation to someone who will hold on to them and not lose them. Second thing is that the Bible teaches us in many, many places that we are not saved because we choose God. We are saved because he chooses us. We're told in Romans 3 that no one even seeks God. In John 6, Jesus said these words on the screen, hopefully. Maybe. There we go. For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me, and at the last day I will raise them up. Philippians 1, Paul says, He who began a good work in you will continue to do that work in you. See, we are not saved by our choice, but we are saved by God's grace. It is God who saves us. Apart from the work of God's Spirit, we would not choose to be saved. And that is the hard truth. I can tell you on the day that I walked past Guymer Anglican Church and got confronted by friends from school and asked, them to go into, asked me to go into youth group as I was on the way back from the pub, becoming a Christian was not high on my priority list right there. In fact, Jesus was nowhere on my priority list. And I would say it would be the same for each of us. Salvation is something that God brings to pass. God gives us salvation. And it is his And the last thing is this. I don't think a true believer can lose their salvation because the Bible seems to clearly to teach otherwise. Not only are we given the Holy Spirit that guarantees our inheritance, which we find in Ephesians 1.14, but we are told that nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And we find that in Romans 8. If you don't believe that, hear the words of Jesus himself. In John 6, again, 37 to 40, where he says, However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the, the, uh, this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me but that I should raise them up at, uh, at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up on the last day. As I read that passage, did you hear anything about Jesus saying that we can lose our salvation? Did you hear that? No. What Jesus says there is he says... For you to lose your salvation would mean for Jesus to lose you first. Do you hear that? We can't lose our salvation. The only way our salvation could be taken is if Jesus lost us. And right here in John 6, it says that when we are in his hands, nothing will take us from him. In fact, he will keep us safe until the day where we meet him face to face in glory. 
He will take hold of us and never let us go. So the second uh, way to view this passage, which is the one that we hold here at Sorrow Bible Church, is that uh, the right here is not talking about um, those who are true believers falling away and losing their salvation. He's talking about those who are in church and maybe even active members of church but have not really put their trust in Jesus. They haven't given their life fully to him. Because what we find is that, um, oh, sorry, before I, I go there, um, is that what we see is that, uh, that what actually ends up happening is the, the fact that we continue in the faith is actually an example that we are true followers of Jesus. When things get hard, if you're not truly devoted to something, you give up on it, don't you? If you follow a, sport, a football team or something like that and they go through a rough patch, if you're not truly devoted to, to following, if you're not a true fan of that team, you will go, I'm going to go and find another team. Or I might even go and find another code. And give up altogether. When things get hard as Christians, if we are not totally and utterly sold out for Jesus, we will throw our hands up and we will give up. And it's a sure sign that we never truly followed in the first place. See, what we find in verses 7 and 8 in this passage that we just had read is that the rain falls on the soil, that we find different things grow. Have a look. One, we find that it produces thorns and thistles, and it's worthless. But the other actually produces a crop that is fruitful. So the word of God, we've heard, this, we've heard a parable like that, haven't we? The parable of the four soils. In a similar way, the rain falls. The word of God comes to all people in the church and how it is absorbed when it, when it penetrates the, the soil, the fruit that it produces will show what commitment, what, what, uh, what standing, how, how, we, how we take the nourishment of the word of God and whether we just take it on an information-based level to give us enough information to live a good life, to have good morals, to be a good person. All those things are good, but the writer of the Hebrews and Jesus himself demands more of us. It demands a giving of our life. In fact, what we find uh, John in 1 John 2, 19, talks about people as they leave. He talks about uh, these people left our church in 2, 19, but they, were never, they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us when they left. It was that they did not belong to us. So they, these people fell away because they, even though they went out, they actually never truly belonged they never truly gave their life to Jesus. And so what I want to finish up with as we think about this is the, this question of are we, uh, can we lose our salvation? The writer of the Hebrews, I think, says no, we can't. 
He says, no, we can't. But we need to be warned against becoming idle, to becoming stagnant. We need to be warned and reminded to keep growing. We are children of God, and what do children do? They grow. And so we are to do what a child does and grow in our faith, to grow in our relationship and our love for God and for his people, to grow in love for his word. We are to grab hold of the promises that God gives us and to be changed by them. When we become a Christian, when we put our trust in Jesus, we become a new person. We are born again. We are born new. And we are to live that way. The promise that is given to us is a promise of eternal life. In fact, what the writer of Hebrews will continue on in this chapter is he'll actually go on and talk about how beautiful that promise is, that hope that we have. Because he goes on in uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, to say this. He says, we have this hope, the hope of the promised salvation in God. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. Here we are told and reminded in a different way. If you hold an anchor and stand in a boat, what use is the anchor? It's no good, really. What are you going to do with an anchor? Put it in the ground. You throw it overboard, don't you? You throw it overboard so it will catch on something solid so you will not move. The promise of eternal salvation that is given to us and held for us by Jesus is spoken of in this way. That that this promise, this hope is our anchor. And the anchor is not to be held in our hand because we might lose it or drop it or do something that we shouldn't with it. Our anchor is actually to to be thrown overboard, but it doesn't go down like a normal anchor. It actually goes up into the very throne room of of heaven. And it locks onto something so solid, so unmovable. It wedges itself into Jesus himself, who will not let us go. Our hope is so secure that it's not in our hands, but it is in the very hands of the one who came to save us. And in that hope, in that promise, we have this great security, this great joy, because our salvation can't be lost, because it is secure with Jesus forever and ever, until we meet him in glory until we we enter into this sanctuary, into heaven and see him. This uh, question of can I lose my salvation is a great question for us to ask, but it's not a question to make us worry and, and freak out that we might not be saved. But if you do feel like that, it is not a bad thing either because what it does is it gives us a moment to check ourselves to take stock of the fruit in our lives 
and to ask, am I growing? Have I truly given myself fully to God? And if the answer is yes, then I want to I encourage you to cling to this hope that we have, this anchor that is firmly, firmly uh, uh, set in the sanctuary for us, firm and secure. But if you take stock and you look and you think, maybe I, maybe I actually really haven't given myself to Jesus. Maybe I haven't trusted him. Can I ask you tonight not to leave here that way? There is no better time than right now to put your trust in Jesus. To have this secure hope that is on offer. This anchor that is firm and secure for your soul. To know that your eternity is secure, that your salvation is solid and will never be lost. As someone who perpetually loses things, I am so full of joy and thankfulness for the fact that our God knows us so well that he trusts our salvation to the one who is totally and utterly trustworthy, his son Jesus who has us in his hands and never lets us go. Praise Jesus. Let me pray. Dear gracious God, we thank you that our salvation is secure, our hope is secure in the promise that we have eternal life through your Son. That when we are born again, that we are your children we are your sheep and we are given to the great shepherd Jesus who will never ever let us go to whom no one can ever snatch us from his hands Father thank you for such an assured hope such a rock solid uh, salvation and we pray this in Jesus name Amen (laughs) 